Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hello, 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 and welcome. We're back again. Philip and Adrian, you haven't heard our voices in a while. You know, you haven't heard us since I believe Group C, but we're back. After you had a nice fill of Manuel and Josh, they did a great job with those other groups. But Filippo, how are you? This is your group, man. Well, your other group, I should say, because of course, United States is in there as well in Group B, which we already did. But now we're looking at Group G, which of course has your beloved Brazil. Yeah, Group G and B are my favorite ones for sure. And I'm looking forward to this episode. Before we even start talking about this one, Adrian, can we just talk about how Three out of the four teams in this nation in this group were in the same exact group in 2018. Brazil, Switzerland, and Serbia were in the same group back in 2018. And then again, they're in the same group again. That happened in Group D as well. No? Because uh, it's France, Denmark, Australia, and Peru Tunisia. Last time, right? But last yeah. time it was Peru. And I so guess the- if, if Peru had beaten Australia then... Ooh, that it would have been, been the same group. Yeah, it would have been three out of four, the same. So there's definitely FIFA corruption going on as if we needed another another sort of, uh, or they're just FIFA laziness going on. You know, they need to write some better storylines, you know, mix it up a little bit. They're trying to create rivalries, have that, them yeah. face each other. Like Cameroon, I believe 2014, Cameroon was in our group, Brazil. Yeah, they're trying to, they're trying to do some uh, World Cup derbies. So yeah. uh, <laughs> it's not working well, but okay. <laughs> But why don't, you know, you mentioned Cameroon. Why don't we start there? And they're one of the teams that I think when you look at AFCON qualifying and you look at just how Algeria was lighting it up and looking like they're a shoe in to make it into this World Cup. And then they face Cameroon. And I don't know, Filippo, did you watch any of those playoff matches between Cameroon and Algeria? No, I watched uh, Egypt and Senegal. I didn't watch Cameroon and Algeria. So Cameroon and Algeria, the second leg was absolute madness because it's it's nil-nil throughout the entire... Or sorry, it's 1-0 Cameroon. And then the match ends 1-0. So it's tied on aggregate and away goals, etc. And it goes all through extra time. And in the 118th minute, Algeria, who are playing at home, they finally get the go-ahead goal, which makes it 2-1 on aggregate. Only four in the 124th minute, Toko Akambi for Cameroon scores. Not the most stunning goal, but he scores to make it 2-1 Cameroon and send them to the World Cup. And prior to this, Algeria were peppering the goal. Whether it was insane saves made by the Cameroon keeper, whether they were hitting the post, whether they were missing from point blank. It definitely gave this feeling of, okay, you had Algeria who just destroyed in qualifying 
They could not get it done against Cameroon. Cameroon, man, this team are warriors. And I'm interested in seeing how they do because they also have this Eric Ch- Maxim Chupamoting guy or Chupa Goating, as he has been referred to <laughs> as lately at Bayern Munich, who is all of a sudden, he's the heir apparent to Robert Lewandowski at Bayern Munich. He scored one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine goals in his last seven games. So he is destroying right now. Well, not just that. When you look into Af- uh, the African qualifiers, you do see certain national teams that get easy groups, mm-hmm. right? Egypt, for example, had an easy group, and then they faced Senegal, which was a tough matchup, and they were out. Cameroon didn't really have it easy. They were placed in the same group as the Ivory Coast, and they barely got through, right? Two points yeah. ahead, Ivory Coast, a strong side. So they already had to deal with that to go through. And then they went on to, well, the Algeria matchup, the knockout round that you just talked about. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they had an easy qualifying, right? No. Like we talk about, for example, Tunisia, uh, which is a group we're not talking about. But Tunisia had a pretty damn easy group, right? They had to beat Equatorial Guinea, Zambia, and Mar- Mauritania. And then after that, they played Mali. So there are certain matchups that you could have an easy path in Africa. Well, Cameroon didn't have an easy one. They definitely did not have an easy one. They didn't. And I think that some of the perception of Cameroon, and I was definitely guilty of this. um, And I saw a lot of this on Twitter was that people were feeling a little bit underwhelmed with Cameroon in some senses, just because of how good Algeria had been. But like you just highlighted, we got to give them credit where it's due. Going up against Cote, or sorry, I, I live in Quebec, so I automatically Cote say d'Ivoire. Yeah, Cote d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast. Um, that's not easy. They topped that group with five wins and one loss. Not bad at all. Plus nine goal difference, so very solid defensively. And then going up against Algeria, sure, they were on the back foot for most of it, but ultimately they got there in the end. So a huge credit to Cameroon. This is one of those teams where I feel like at this edition of the World Cup, Cameroon, Senegal, Ghana as well, these teams could really cause some issues, and I would love to see a few of them getting through to the next round. But will it happen in Group G, man? Ah, you look at who they're up against, Switzerland, Serbia, of course, Brazil. Why don't we start with Switzerland but Adrian, here? One thing for anyone with Cameroon, right, that they're not familiar with, their goalkeeper is Onana, right, from Inter Milan. Mm-hmm. And they also added Brian Emupu. Emupu. Embupu. How do you pronounce his last name? Embuemo? Embuemo? Brian Embuemo. There you go. From Brentford. That was the dual now. He actually was in the French youth system, right? That's where he played most of their games. And he will play for Cameroon. And that is a winger that plays in the Premier League. Always worth noting. They have quality. And and they didn't have him in World Cup qualifying. Okay? They qualified without him. He's an addition to this team. No, absolutely. And other names that people might remember, such as, you know, Vincent Abubakar. Used to play at uh, FC Porto in the past. 88 caps. And he plays in the Saudi Professional League as well for Al Nasser. Um, who else do we have here that sticks out to you, Filippo? Um, well, mainly a bunch of good role players, right? You have yeah. players that play in, in Turkey, in France, Switzerland, uh, some in Germany. A lot of good role players, essentially. Uh, those are the main guys. Uh, but I think... We can go back to what you were saying. We can transition to the... I mean, Cameron can surprise, but now we're going to go to the big boys of this group. Yeah, and let's start, maybe not the biggest boy of the big boys, but let's start with 
Switzerland because Switzerland is one of those teams. Look, I've I've seen a lot of Switzerland in my day just because it seems like Portugal and Switzerland meet each other often. You know, UEFA, as we were talking about, trying to create that rivalry even at the uh, qualification level. And Switzerland and Portugal, Switzerland is always a very, very, very difficult team to play against. And let me just give you a stat that sort of illustrates that. In qualifying in Group C, they finished ahead of Italy. And across eight matches, Switzerland conceded just two goals. So that's the kind of team. And look, they're also the team that eliminated France at the previous Euros. They're a very difficult side to play against, even if they're not the most glitzy and glamorous team of the group. But they're always going to make things difficult for you, right, Filippo? Yeah, I mean, as a Brazilian myself, I saw that, right, in the the, the past World Cup. Brazil yes. wasn't able to beat them. So there's that. Also, didn't they knock out France in the Euros? That's it. They did. Yeah. That's Switzerland, right? It seems like a lot of the Swiss players, they, they perform better for the national team than they do for their clubs. Mm -hmm. I think like Shaka. I mean, Shaka's been good with Arsenal too, but he's always yeah. better for the national team. But the thing with Switzerland is... When you talk about underdogs, there are certain things you need to have within your squad to be a successful underdog, and they got that, right? They're always – the first thing you need is a very good goalkeeper, right? And they have Jan Sommer. I know he was injured, but is he going to be good for the World Cup? Do we know that yet? Uh, I cannot confirm that yet, but I can fact check that now as you go through the rest. Yeah, so Jan Sommer, a goalkeeper that is – absolutely insanely good we don't know if he's going to be healthy for the world cup but if he is that's one of the things you need to have they have players that are dangerous in transition right when you're an underdog you need to know how to defend and know how to attack in transition and when you look at their team shaka is a player that can connect well in transition but they have a lot of players that bring in a lot of pace and speed noah okafor um and bolo many might remember him that uh, that played for gladbach back in the day not back in the day like i think a season ago this is a tough team to beat, right? I personally think Serbia will pull through this time around, right? The last World Cup, Brazil and Switzerland came out of the group and Serbia was knocked out. But I think Serbia mm -hmm. will pull through. But then you look at other players they have. They have Zakaria that's been, you know, struggled during his time at Juve, now struggling during his time at Chelsea to get minutes. Akanji from Man City. This team is good, man. And, and again, if, if Summer can't go, which you're going to update in, us in a second, it would be Dortmund's goalkeeper, right? Gregor Kobel? Uh, yes, exactly. But Jan Sommer is indeed healthy, it seems. And he will be going. But like you were saying, Gregor Kobel is definitely no slouch either. He's done quite well for Borussia Dortmund also. But yeah, this this squad, just looking at it now, Nico Elvedi, especially in defense, they look very, very good. Nico Elvedi of Borussia Mönchengladbach, Fabian Schaar of Newcastle, Remo Freuler, formerly of Atalanta. Now he's at Nottingham Forest. It's a very good team. Shakiri. I mean, I didn't really watch MLS, so I can't speak to how good he has been lately. What do you yeah, think but, of that? But Shakiri is one of those players that his club form doesn't really matter for the national no. team. He performs for them, right? Yeah. It's almost like that Gareth Bale situation where it doesn't really matter. Still quality player, going to be key for them, and he's going to play well. The defense is strong. They can play in transition, and they have these players that overperform for the national team. So... I, 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 to me, them getting through would be no surprise. It wouldn't be a surprise at all. Yeah, and I don't think we'd necessarily see them getting through ahead of Brazil. Not, neither of us are going to go that far. But when you look at Serbia, now I think I got to give a lot of credit to Serbia because they had a fantastic qualification cycle. Look, they did get a little bit lucky. Let's get this 
out of the way here because there was, of course, that Ronaldo goal that was definitely in, but VAR didn't exist at the time. So Portugal ended up tying 2-2 in Serbia. But then Serbia got the business done with the rest of their matches. Um, All that Portugal needed was a draw at home against Serbia on the final match day. And in classic Fernando Santos style, he plays for that draw. Portugal plays terribly. And then there's a last-minute goal at the very, very end from Mitrovic for Serbia. And Serbia end up winning that game 2-1 in Portugal to finish top of the group. So a lot of credit has to be given to them. And Stojkovic, I believe, is their manager. I I can fact-check myself later. He has them playing fantastic stuff. And Filippo, when you look at this squad, the amount of talent that Serbia has, I think people sort of sleep on how much talent they have. Because there's guys like Milinkovic Savic from Lazio, Tadic from Ajax, Vlahovic from Juve, Kostic from Juve also who has been improving a ton the in the last line might weeks. be a problem though the back line might be a problem but they do play that three five two which becomes a back five with you know a stack of four in front of it um so they are difficult to break down um but yeah the back line and in goal i'm just i guess it could be vanya milinkovic savage who has been playing well for torino of late or reykovic um So we'll see. We'll see. But I think that Serbia is definitely one of those teams that a lot of people are picking as a dark horse. Me, not so much, because I think that uh, I think that Switzerland might actually finish ahead of them. I have this sneaking suspicion that Switzerland is going to be the the low key uh, underdog slash dark horse of this group. But yeah, I think one thing to mention about dark horse is that I had Serbia as one of my dark horses a while back. Mm-hmm. But the more I looked into them specifically, I noticed they don't have one thing that every dark horse needs, which is defense. If you you can win a World Cup by having so much talent up top, right, being stacked and having just an okay defense. But dark horses usually need to know or underdogs, right? They need to know how to play without the ball. They need to have a very mm-hmm. strong defense because they're usually going to be the lesser team against the big boys. Uh that's where I have some question marks about Serbia. I still think they're going to pull through the group because they will not be the lesser team against Switzerland. Switzerland will be doing most of the defending. And then when you have Mitrovic, Vlahovic up top, you have Savic in the midfield, you have Jovic coming off the bench, you have Tadic playmaking, you, you, you can break that low block. You can beat Switzerland. But I can totally see this group going this way. I can see Serbia beating Switzerland and Cameroon and losing to Brazil. And I can see Switzerland losing to Serbia, but Switzerland pulling a draw against Brazil. Right? Uh, That's what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say that Serbia is better. They can beat teams that are lesser than them because because how shaky their back line can be, but how much firepower they have up top. But I think they're going to have big problems against teams like Brazil. That's the way I see Serbia. Now, I can be completely wrong. I mean, this is just a theory when things happen they happen and serbia might adjust their defense but their back line is a big question mark to me and we'll see how that one goes uh, i think i still think they're going to get out of the group because if they beat switzerland and cameroon with those six points they'll pull through yeah um but but like i said i i if i had to pick a dark horse like that would go deep i think serbia will lose the first big boy they face yeah i mean I think that's fair to say. It's it's pretty much for me, it's a coin flip between Switzerland and Serbia. But like you said, I was I'm just looking at their back line at the moment and seeing what kind of names that I really recognize as a top, top, top defender playing in a top league. 
Um, and that doesn't always have to be the case in international football because it is often about who's best organized. You know, it doesn't have to be, oh, everyone's playing in the top five leagues. But just as a general sort of rule or a general sort of uh, judge, it is hard to see really standout players in comparison to Switzerland. You know, maybe there's Milenkovic from Fiorentina, Terzic from Fiorentina, and then the rest are sort of Kasim Pasa in, in Turkey and Red Star Belgrade, etc. So, look, it's definitely the better attack of Serbia versus the better defense of Switzerland. And for my money, I think that I'm going to go with Switzerland on this one. Um, it's just a question of how many chances will Harris Seferovic miss for Switzerland before he finally buries one. Because Seferovic, this is just a bit of a tangent, but he's one of those guys where he looks like an absolute donkey, for lack of a better word, <laughs> most of the time. And then he'll score a volley from the edge of the box that just is, rips off of the crossbar and in. He does. He's that kind of player, you know? There's a lot of strikers out there like that. So... I don't know. We'll see, man. But it's more about what you believe in more. You think having being stacked up top and being maybe a little bit shaky in the back line mm -hmm. or just being a well-rounded team like Switzerland, more well-rounded, not as stacked as Serbia is like like Serbia essentially has two world-class center forwards starting, yeah. right? Uh Switzerland doesn't have that, but Switzerland's more well-rounded. Yes. So I can see that going either way, to be honest. I, I still, I think Brazil was honestly placed in a very tough group. NBA fans, the NBA action is just getting started and so are the incredible offers at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet any $5 NBA pregame Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check this out right now. Everyone can earn up to 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same-game parlay, combine multiple bets like which team will win, total rebounds, total points scored, and more. With bigger payouts than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is where I go to bet on the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TBPN, Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Lately, I've been listening to a lot of tactical yanks, and it's been great. One reason it's been great to listen to? Because I use my Raycon wireless earbuds to do it. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. With optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit, these earbuds are so comfortable and they will not budge, trust me. Raycons give you 8 hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. Raycons are priced just right. You get quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands. It's no wonder Raycons Everyday Earbuds have over 50,000 5-star reviews. Raycon earbuds have three sound profiles so you can have a personalized listening experience, as well as an awareness mode where you can hear the world around you. Whether you're doing the most intense exercise or just sitting around, Raycon earbuds are perfect for you. Go to buyraycon.com slash TBPN today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash TBPN to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com slash TBPN. They were, weren't they? Um, yeah. And I mean... I like it. Yeah, that's what you want right from the beginning. You don't want an easy 
easy group and then you have to go and face all the top teams in the knockout rounds etc they you you don't want that you want to be up and running from the beginning and speaking of not an easy group when you look at the qualification campaign that any south american team has to go through it's incredibly difficult because of the concentration of good teams it's only 10 teams that are competing for qualification in south america and brazil topped that scoring 40 goals conceding just five and not losing a single match filippo how does this Brazilian team compare to ones that we've seen recently, 2018, 2014? Because they certainly seem way, way, way better. This Brazilian team is better than the 2010, 2014, 2018 in every single position, including bench, including the depth, every single position. Uh, actually, maybe worse than 2014 in the right back position because we had Dani Alves. Um, and then this World Cup, it, we still have Dani Alves. <laughs> you can't shake him. <laughs> He's going to be playing there at the 2026 World Cup, 2030. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we had Dani Alves in 2014, and that was a good thing. We have Dani Alves in, 28, in 2022. That might not be a good thing. But he's not going to start. He's not going to play. The right back will probably be Militão, and mm-hmm. Danilo will be the backup. That's probably what's going to happen. But this team is better in every single position. Like, you compare to 2018. Our dual center backs were Thiago Silva and Miranda. Okay. That's not too bad, but Miranda is kind of shaky, slow. Now it's going to be Thiago Silva and Marquinhos. Right? That's an improvement. Huge. And then the backups of them are Eder Militão, which is a Real Madrid player, Champions League winner, and Bremer from Mm -hmm. Juventus. One of the best center backs in the Serie A. Probably the best center back Brazil has in terms of playing in isolation. One-on-one situations, Bremer might be the best one for that. But I don't think Bremer will play in the World Cup. So right there, look at the center back depth and quality. It's just nowhere near before. Even though Marquinhos was a backup in 2018, was younger too. Left back, a little bit of an issue, right? It was already an issue in 2018. It's still an issue, the left back position. Right For this World Cup, we're going to have Alexandro from Juve and Alex Telles from Sevilla. Now, Depending on the national team you talk about, Alexandro and Alex Telles are honestly not that bad, right? They're really no. not that bad. Like, they would probably make it to every single national team in this group and maybe start for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a drop-off when you compare it to the rest of the team. Exactly. That is exactly. that is why people talk about the fullback issues with Brazil. Because when you look at it, you look at the Brazilian fullbacks, you're like, wait a second. They would start for like... 28 or 27 out of the 32 nations or they would at least and they would probably make the roster of like 30 nations right when you when you look at brazil's fullback situation on both sides you're essentially trying to find a weakness in this team that's basically what you're doing you're splitting hairs you're like if i had to point to anywhere on the pitch where you could say oh there's a drop-off that would be the fullback positions but like you said these players are not bad players at all no, and I also think people don't a lot of people that talk about it don't watch Brazil, right? Yeah. They they just go based off what they see on paper. One, they're nitpicking, like you said. They're just trying to say, Oh, that's the weakness. I found it. The weakness. It's <laughs> like, well, guys, maybe the team doesn't really have a weakness. Right? There just isn't a weakness, a true weakness, right? Uh the thing is, the fullbacks from Brazil, they don't really play as fullbacks normally. That's another thing. Chi Chi has found ways to like hide this issue. There's mm-hmm. moments where we play on a hybrid 3-2-5 or 3-2-3-2 formation. Uh, we've seen that with Militão shifting to a back three. 
doesn't push high up the field as much, doesn't overlap. So Chi-Chi, that I'm not the biggest fan as a coach, he understands the problem. He knows that they can't support the – and the thing is, he understands that defensively, they can do all right. Militão and Alexandro defensively, they'll do fine if you put them on the fullback. So they stay back. They don't overlap. They don't push high up the field and let our forwards ball. Because when you look at the Brazilian forwards, Brazil is the most stacked country in the world right now when it comes to just forwards. Um, I don't, I can't, like, I guess France matches it, but I can't think of another national team that has as much depth as Brazil with the forwards. No, I think France is the main one. And just one thing that people need to understand, if they haven't watched a lot of Eder Militão, when he was at Porto, he used to play right back. Yeah. So this isn't a position that he's just being forced into out of necessity. Well, it is in some ways, yes, but it's a position that he's at least very familiar with. It's not like you're taking Thiago Silva and putting him at right back or something like that, you know? I mean, didn't Spain, I might be very wrong about this, but didn't Spain play with Sergio Ramos as a right back in 2010? Yeah, yeah, of course. He used to play as a right back uh, a lot more frequently back in the day before he went fully to just a uh, center back position. I believe even, and I could be speaking out of my ass here, but I believe at Sevilla, he used to play right back a little more frequently. yeah, need, you're right. But I well, need I mean, to fact check that, though. Because in 2010, it was PK and Puyol, but Ramos mm-hmm. started. I think he was the right back. So Militão can play that role just fine. And then the left back, Alex Teles or Alexandro, definitely not a Roberto Carlos quality left back. But, I mean, is it? are they that bad? They're players for Sevilla. They're players for Juventus. Are they that bad? That That's the, the exaggeration that we hear very often. And then the midfield of Brazil for the more defensive midfielder, right? Brazil might play on a 4-2-3-1. Casemiro would be the six probably on the double pivot, the more defensive one. And then who will play next to Casemiro could be a problem. Like Chichi started Fred on most of the World Cup qualifying games. And I think Fred is a bigger problem than any of the fullbacks. Mm. Uh, that would be the biggest problem. And the problem there is... It's not due to lack of options, right? You can play just Fabinho and Casemiro, and you'll have, I mean, it'll be very defensive, but you'll protect that back line very well. You can play Bruno Guimarães. That's been one of the best midfielders in the Premier League. I just don't see why you would start Fred, right, Yeah, uh, with those options. And you can even put Lucas Paqueta if you want to attack more, even though he's more of a 10. But I... We'll see. We'll see what Chichi will do. He might alternate with that. I think he knows what he's doing. He was our coach for the last World Cup. He learned from that one. And then many people asked me, and it was funny, I went to a YouTube channel that they they brought me for Brazil, and they asked me, "Who's who, in your opinion, what's the best front three for Brazil? Right? And then <laughs> I said Vinicius Jr. on the left wing, Rafinha on the right wing, and for personal preference, I would pick Gabriel Jesus to be the center forward. But it can be him, Richardson, or maybe even Pedro from Flamengo, which is a fantastic center forward, by the way. Yeah. And then he asked me, well, you're benching Neymar? It's like, nope, Neymar's a 10 now. Neymar is Brazil's attacking midfielder. And I think people are about to... Well, PSG fans probably have noticed this by now. Yeah. But Neymar's playmaking ability is probably top three of the world probably just behind a player like Kevin De Bruyne right now and maybe a few others we can name. But his line-breaking passes, he can destabilize the defense with his dribble Mm -hmm. and passing ability. And he's going to be the 10 for Brazil in the World Cup. He's not going to play wide. 
Uh, I mean, okay, he, he'll probably drift wide. He does. And Chichi gives him a lot of freedom, and he might even be in the winger for a game or another. But Chichi's main idea is to put two wingers that maybe have more pace, right? You can put Vinicius, Martinelli, Rodrigo, Rafinha, Anthony, and have Neymar create. And then a center forward like Richarlison or Gabriel Jesus. I think Pedro, the center forward he brought from Flamengo, will probably be more of like one of those late game subs that if you need a goal, you send in Pedro. I don't think Pedro will start for Brazil in any of the matches, in my opinion. But we do have to congratulate him on uh, proposing to his now fiance. Did you see that video? Yeah, I wonder if it was just like he got way too excited with the call up or if he actually planned it ahead. That's what I'm wondering here. I'm sure there was a little bit of pre-planning unless he just has that had that ring on him at all times, you know? Yeah, I mean, maybe he I mean, this is what I'm wondering. Okay, look at this. If if he didn't get called up, would he have proposed to her? That's the big question. Um, because that oh. would be a bit of a strange time because then it would feel like, okay, now you have to make my day by saying yes to me, you know, because I did not get called up, but I've, I've heard this Pedro guy is becoming a bit of a fan favorite or is doing big things in Brazil. Like, how would you rate him as a center forward compared to the guys who are playing in Europe? Is there, is there no question that he's like a, quite the downgrade or would no, you be happy no. with him playing? I mean, I wouldn't start him more because of his style of play. I don't think it blends in as well with how dynamic our mm -hmm. wingers are in our 10. He's more of a fixed center forward, right? He's not very mobile, uh, a box guy, puts the ball in the back of the net. Great hold-up play, extremely technical. But he's not as mobile as a Richardson or Gabriel Jesus or not as fast also. He's just a true poacher. Okay. Uh, I think comparable maybe in the past to Fred, the center forward. Right. Uh, which, I mean, people made him a meme in 2014, but they probably forget how good Fred was in the Champions League for Lyon, in the French League. He was a true great center forward. And I think Pedro can go to Europe and do just fine. He was going to go to, I believe, Real Madrid, actually, when he was at Fluminense, when he was young. Hmm. But then he tore his ACL. And then he came back, he started to score goals again, and then he went to Fiorentina. But then he got another injury and kind of like needed to restart his career. So he came back to Brazil to play for Flamengo. And he's back to his old self. And I think Pedro's still fairly young. Like, despite a lot happening in his career, he's probably like 23 right now. Let me see. Pedro's actually 25. So he's not super young. No. But he's not old by any means, right? A lot happened. There was interest from Real Madrid. You look at his career. He went to Fiorentina. If I'm not, yep, he went to Fiorentina when he left Fluminense. But he had injury problems. And now he's looking healthy, right? I think... And I think humans need to evolve beyond needing ACLs. They need to evolve to something else because those end too many careers or mess them up a little bit as what happened to Pedro. But I think what you were talking about, about him being completely different from the rest of the strikers, you always need a player like that in your squad because let's say something's just not working for Brazil. They're having a hard time breaking down a certain team. You need someone that can just get on the end of balls and finish off crosses and balls into the box, right? You need that different option. Well, and and Adrian, we were missing that in 2018, right? Because yeah. our center forwards were Gabriel Jesus and Bobby Firmino, which are not real poachers, right? They're not no. goal-scoring machines. They have tremendous quality in many different aspects of their game, 
But when we are down 2-1 against Belgium, right, we got that goal with Renato Augusto, and you kind of need to put that little pressure and throw some balls in the air, uh, in the box, right, chugging crosses, just like desperation mode. You need that guy that's in the box, and in one random cross, he's just going to be there to push in the back of the net. Um, and we didn't have that in 2018. So I think that's something Chichi took into consideration when he brought in Pedro. It's like, hey, uh, you know, shit can happen in the round of 16, quarterfinals, semifinals. I might be down. I might need to go just play long ball and and just throw in crosses into the box. And Pedro might be that guy uh, yeah. for the last 20 minutes. It's something different from Gabriel, even though even Richardson can be useful for that. But if you need to go in the end, you just put Richardson and Pedro up top and just chug in crosses. Yeah. Um, Gabriel Jesus is definitely not that guy. That's one thing to say. Um, no. Even though I fully understand and fully support Gabriel Jesus' inclusion in this roster, I think he should be there uh, due to his form, quality, and World Cup experience. He was there in 2018, and he will have something to prove because it was a World Cup that he was heavily criticized for not scoring. Yeah, and look, I think as far as attacking options go, Brazil is is good. They're totally fine in that regard. I mean, their goal haul in the qualification campaign speaks for itself 40 goals in 17 matches it's not bad i'd say but when you look at this brazilian national team they also had the best defense in qualification and a lot has been made of argentina and how good defensively they are but you look at brazil it seems like they can do both so how do you beat this brazilian team Filippo? what you know is the weakness simply just the fullbacks or is there another sort of phase of play or a style of play that they don't necessarily excel against well, I think the way you beat them is it's the World Cup and it's knockout rounds, right? Mm-hmm. So you've seen Brazil the past two cycles completely dominate South American qualifiers because it's a league-based system, right? It's points, it's long, it's 19 games. Uh, sorry, 18 games. Uh, so usually when you have a league, for example, we can use Man City as an example, the odds of them winning the, the Premier League is pretty high because they have the most quality, the most depth. And that's what Brazil is in South America. They have the most quality, the most depth. And they also do have the most quality and depth when it comes to the World Cup, in my opinion, right now. But just like the Champions League, these are knockout rounds and anything can happen. So it's honestly about getting the tactics right on the day. Uh, You don't stop Neymar. You slow down Neymar. We've seen a little bit of what Argentina does of rotational fouling. Uh, They've done this a few times against Brazil. And I, I guess... If anyone wants to study how to stop Brazil, they should probably watch the last three matches of Brazil and Argentina because Argentina held Brazil scoreless for three games in a row. Um, So I guess that's the best way to go about it. But Brazil doesn't have any notable weakness, even though people are going to point out to the fullback, as we said, it's not like it's not like England with Harry Maguire, that Mm -hmm. it's a big weakness that you can actually exploit an error prone player. It's not that big of a weakness, the, the fullbacks, right? It's not like we have all these world-class players and then our fullbacks are playing like the second division of Spain. You just wait until the round of 16 when it's Brazil versus Portugal and you have to put up with some Fernando Santos terrorism ball that is just going to break you down. <laughs> I mean, if he does that, I think that's the worst thing he can do against Brazil because that's usually what Brazil is accustomed to playing against. Yeah, I, I look, if Portugal finishes second in their group and they end up facing Brazil, I think we, we're going to talk about this in the Group H preview, actually, which we've recorded already, sort of breaking the fourth wall here. Um, yeah, you but just ruined it. I did, I'm sorry. But 
Portugal against, I think anyone who finishes second in group age is going to have a tough time against Brazil. But what do you, as someone who's sort of looked at their path to the final, you think that it is going to end up with that Argentina-Brazil semi? If everything goes as predicted, it'll probably be Brazil and Argentina in the semifinals. But obviously on the way there, Argentina would have to knock out France or Denmark. Mm -hmm. That's going to be tough. Brazil's probably going to have to knock out a Portugal or Uruguay, maybe a Germany or Spain in the quarterfinals. So there's a lot that can go on and they could fall early. But obviously with the early predictions and just what we're seeing, the data we have, it looks like we're going to have one of the si- one side of the bracket with Brazil and Argentina facing each other in the semifinals. That's going to be huge. And of course, just to let everyone know, in the two matches that you guys did play against Uruguay, I believe you beat them 4-1 and 2-0. So, But 20. they still had Oscar Tabares. They changed yeah. code. They're, they're, they're a much different team than they were. And I quite honestly don't want to play Uruguay in the round of 16. Mm-hmm. Which we will save for the Group H preview, as we did speak about Uruguay quite a bit. But Filippo, anything else to add about this group? How do you see it going? How about that? So you, I believe you have Serbia in second, don't you? Yeah, I'm going to go for Brazil first, Serbia in second, because I think they'll beat Switzerland, even though I think Switzerland is more likely to pull a draw against Brazil. And I'll have Switzerland third and Cameroon in fourth. And mine is the same, except I'm going to swap Switzerland around so they'll get second, Serbia third, Cameroon in fourth. Although I'd love to see Cameroon, you know, at least shake something up, you know, maybe Chupa Moting, Chupa Goating. (laughs) <laughs> can get a couple of goals in this World Cup. That would be lovely to see. But Filippo, I think that's it for this group, right? Yeah, that's it. And we're getting ready for the World Cup. We'll keep putting out content as much as we can on the YouTube channels, on the podcast, whatever we can do. And hopefully during the World Cup, we have the whole crew back, all four of us. Yes, that's right. I don't know how often we'll be able to record. We're not going to commit to any sort of schedule during the World Cup because, like you said, we're all going to be so, so, so busy with live streams, produced content, etc. But... One thing's for sure, we'll be back eventually in some sort of capacity. And we've been forgetting to say this, but if you're enjoying these World Cup previews, do leave us a review. Tell us which World Cup preview has been your favorite, because the ones that uh, are not the favorite, those two members are getting kicked off of the podcast. So it's, you know, the power is yours, basically. Anyways, guys, thank you so much for watching and enjoy the rest of this World Cup.